on this episode of Real Life, Real Equity. The sort of cliche answer to that is uh, coachability, hard work, and, you know, all the things that, you know, you can put up on a poster. Welcome to Real Life, Real Equity podcast with your hosts, Justin and Keisha Brooks. Hey, welcome to the show. Our goal is to share with you real-life examples of entrepreneurs who are winning in both life and business. As real estate investors, our mission is to model, educate, and inspire you to act by sharing ease to implement tools, ideas, and information to add more worth to your net worth, more cash to your cash flow, helping you achieve your goals in less time. Welcome to the show. All right, welcome back to another episode of Real Life Real Equity. We have a pretty special guest today that I would consider a star, Mr. Hans Juzina. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. If you're an Olympian fan, then I think you should be very... I, I personally like the competition that you have been part of. I don't steal a stunner. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, we'll let you start because your, your journey is very interesting from being a U.S. Olympian and then now currently being in real estate. So tell Absolutely. us about your background. Well, yeah, as you alluded to, I was a member of the 2016 U.S. Olympic team. Uh, I was in the men's eight on the rowing team. We ultimately finished fourth, which I've talked about on a few episodes and we can get into that, but as sort of a failure of mine that I've had to overcome and figure out that that's probably a podcast in itself. So we don't have to go there today, but, um, but I've learned a lot. And then since then started in real estate uh, on the residential side, always knew I wanted to be an investor as well. And then, um, just this year closed on our second residential income property and have a goal of doing one a year. And we're trying to step up into even larger properties in 2020. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So um, that's it. That would be a good place to start. Let's talk about goals for 2020 because we have been really big and, and really intentional on setting goals. So talk to us a little bit about your goals for 2020. Yeah. I'm a big goal setter and big believer that it's important to number one, first and foremost, have them written down because I actually had a coach in college who Mm -hmm. told me it's not a goal unless it's written down. Yeah. And so my interpretation of that at the time was just to, to write it out on a, on a word document, print it up and put it up on my, on my, above my desk in my room in college. And I didn't do much else with it. And then I went to go clean out my room at the end of the year and realized I had basically checked every goal off because I had basically seen it two or three times a day, every day, waking up, even though I wasn't reading it or anything, I'm engaging with it. So from then on, I've always wanted to set big goals. So for 2020, I am a real estate agent in the Bay Area with the Gunderman Group. We're We're a luxury brand. Uh, We're actually fortunate to be the number one team in the East Bay. Uh, So we've, we're, let's see, we almost knocked out 200 million in last year. And my, my portion of that was 20 million. I was, or I was just shy of 20 million Mm -hmm. in volume, which as a third year in the business is uh, pretty outstanding because it puts me darn close to the top 1%, but inside the top 2%. So I was really excited about that one. Nice. And so so on that front, moving moving into it uh, into 2020, I'm looking to do 30 million um, as I just keep growing and keep taking on more responsibility with this team. And then, as I alluded, buying another income property, but this time, so we've bought a lot of small multifamily, 
and are, are managing that, getting our, our feet wet, getting our systems set up, but we're going for something that's eight or units or larger. Uh, my wife and I is the we in that conversation. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And then, and then I also last year started a podcast, which is obviously how we got connected in the first place uh, yeah. through podcasting. And my goal is to grow that, to have it uh, monetize and be somewhat profitable, learning all the ins and outs of online marketing, how to, how to create offers, how to do, you know, any of that world that I know very little about now, but am excited to continue to learn about. So that's another big goal for me uh, this year. So do you, uh, do you have any familiarization with Russell Brunson and, and the One Funnel Away Challenge and all of that stuff? I am familiar with ClickFunnels and Russell Brunson. I don't follow his stuff nearly as religiously as some other people. Again, because right. yeah. I'm, I'm relatively new to the online kind of marketing world. Nice, right. nice. So for our guest in our audience, Russell Brunson is the founder of ClickFunnels. ClickFunnels is a phenomenal platform if you want to learn. Very low entry price, very low barrier to entry. Um, again, if you want to learn more information about that, we will, as always, include it inside of our email newsletter, realliferoequity.com forward slash newsletter. Uh, One Funnel Away Challenge is the challenge that I was a part of. Yeah. I don't know if he still does it, but we'll definitely do some research on your behalf and figure that out. But talk to us a little bit about your journey as an Olympian, because to me, uh, especially when you start talking about achieving at an elite level, it takes a level of execution very similar to entrepreneurship, which right. is probably why you have such a high level, very close to the top 1% in your industry or your agency in performance. So talk to us a little bit about the impetus behind that. Yes. So when, when you watch someone compete at the Olympics, whether it's on a team or as an individual, it, it, what you're watching is, is realistically a lifetime of, of effort and work. Uh, my, my story is absolutely no exception to that. I started rowing at 14, maybe 13. I can't remember exactly as a very casual family activity to do during the summer break. We would go out in the little single boats that were almost impossible to flip and just kind of paddle around and learn how to, how to row and how the whole sport worked as a, as kind of the four of us as a family. That led me to find some enjoyment in it. And then the summer team, which was a very casual recreational thing for a couple of weeks that then transitioned into the fall program, which then into the spring racing program. And from there I just got hooked and just decided I was, I was going to continue with it. And it, one thing that I think is really important to, to point out with any, anybody who's at a high level of whatever they're doing is, especially if you're starting out, you're like, well, I could never make it to the Olympics. Right. But right. like I couldn't make it to the Olympics until I could. And I wasn't even, didn't even have my eye on the Olympics until probably my junior year of college when wow. I had gone, you know, through high school, done, done well, been recruited and then gone through a couple of years of the college program, realizing I went to university of Washington and we recruited a lot of international talent as well as uh, local talent. And these are guys who had been on their respective national teams from Europe and from Australia and from wherever. And I was able to compete and hang with them and, and beat them in some cases. So then I was like, oh, I might have a shot at doing this. And that's when it started to click for me that that might be possible. And then from that point, it was another seven years 
of training, like obviously finishing college, but then after college, it was another five years of training till I made it to the Olympic team. Wow. 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 That is just such a discipline. And it makes me think about, you know, your background. You said you started, you know, just as a family outing, which led Mm -hmm. to you being a U.S. Olympian. I imagine just growing up, there had to be some type of influence in your household that even led you to that point of being an Olympian and an entrepreneur. Tell us a little bit about your family background. Absolutely. Well, my my parents both have entrepreneurial backgrounds. My So to start, my mom went to medical school and then to dental school and then started her own uh, periodontist practice and ultimately was running an office of five or six people, I think. I don't remember. I was quite young when she was running it, but it was about that size, typical mm-hmm. that small dental office and doing well with it. And then my father was an attorney, worked at some big firms and... Gosh, in the um, earlier mid '90s, went out on his own and started a practice that, basically, he was going to be sort of an in-house counsel for small, uh, small firms in the Seattle area at the time, which was okay. pretty unheard of because you had to get to a certain payroll size to afford someone in-house. And he's like, well, they don't need a full-time person, but they could definitely use a part-time person. But no lawyer wants to work part-time. Right. But he he kind of figured out this way to 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 be that person for multiple firms all at once and and kind of started this thing that wasn't really being done and then from there uh built his practice and continued to to sort of leverage into entrepreneurial things and then my mom was able to retire uh, from her practice when i was 12 or so um, oh, wow. she sold it and then was a stay at home mom after that so was able to support us through some of those formative years in a in a really cool way nice yeah. nice so Talk to us a little bit about why you got into business, entrepreneurship, real estate. Talk to us a little bit about that journey. So I studied business at University of Washington. And so I was in the business school, study, actually um, not minored, but they call it a focus. It wasn't mm-hmm. like a major minor thing in entrepreneurship. And I took this class uh, that was a two-quarter class. First quarter, you form teams you come up with the idea, you you write your business plan, and then at the end of the class, you pitch it to a, a fiduciary board of investors for the class, asking them for money, and then they give it to you or they don't, or they give you some portion of what you ask and then explain why. And then ne- the second quarter is you go out and you do, you go run the business, you go execute. And then at the end of the quarter, all the money is dissolved back into the, the class unless you want to continue the business you got to buy the class out of, out of the equity, a couple thousand bucks at most, whatever it is. And, um, that really got my, I guess I got, that's how I got my feet wet really in business. Like I'd had little side hustles here and there, washing cars and power washing neighbors, driveways and stuff like that. But that was my first real go out into the marketplace, sell a product kind of experience. And that really got me excited about, about going into business. And then the real estate side, gosh, like I said, I've had that family influence. My dad was always kind of involved helping people buy and sell properties. As an attorney, he was always talking about it and how great of a wealth generator it was. Two of my uncles and my grandfather was a big developer in Seattle. My dad's brother owned a couple of apartment buildings in Philadelphia. So they it's just always sort of been 
it's in your blood out, out there in my in my world so i always right. sort of knew that that was a direction i was gonna find myself in nice okay. nice so you went from u.s olympian fourth place mm-hmm. which is nothing to shake a stick at i mean my god fourth place you spent from the age of 14 till five years after you got out of college so definitely over 10 years on mm-hmm. your craft to become a u.s olympian transitioned oh, yeah. out became a real estate agent and now a real estate investor. And now we're then again performing at the top 1%. What would you say are some key characteristics that you've learned to embrace to really get you to the level of the top 1% and not only one industry, but now two? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great question. I think the sort of cliche answer to that is uh, coachability, hard work, and you know all the things that you know you can put up on a poster somewhere yeah. right <laughs> right <laughs> teamwork whatever and, and i'm not trying to discount those because those are important but certainly the coachability part is has played a big role both in just learning and absorbing and applying as much as i can through the mentors that i've been lucky enough to have mm-hmm. that's huge because if, if someone gives you an example of something to do and then you do it and they see you do it and whether you succeed or fail, like they're going to see you doing it and then they're going to want to pour more into you. And that's, that's been my experience. But one of the big things honestly is some of the life skills that I learned, both just stretching a dollar and making things happen, being creative with housing situations and food and stuff. Cause as you can imagine, I, rowing is an amateur sport and there's not a ton of money in it. There's a little bit, but not a lot. And you have to rely both on your own creativity as well as sometimes the generosity of other people to, to make it happen. Yeah. And then you have to get creative even in that, in that world. So not being afraid of living on a couch out of a suitcase, you know, on a couple thousand dollars a month, is something that I learned pretty, pretty, um, and practiced pr- in a practical way uh, during the Olympic run-up, and then had to do that a couple times afterwards when, when we were making our first investments and putting all the money we had into a rental or, or a flip or whatever, and you know, and then just not being totally scared of being at or near that that zero dollars in the bank account line. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard, you know, you never get comfortable with it, but it's it's one thing to be able to learn it because taking those risks. Sometimes you're going to have to take a bigger risk. Being comfortable with that is, is crucial. And I think the third thing that I've, I've talked about and thought about is, um, in moments that are uncomfortable and, and I I'll go to the example of a negotiation, you're negotiating on price on terms. You've got a lot of money on the line, whether it's a, your own investment or for a client, and learning to operate at a high level and keep your keep your head screwed on straight when it's uncomfortable, when you're having to ask for a concession, when you're having to ask for a price reduction, you know that can be scary, especially when you're trying to sell a million or two million dollar property. And you know, cracking under that pressure is something that a lot of people do. But because I was able to, you know, practice this skill through athletics of. I'm in physical pain, I'm deep into a race, and the only way through this is to continue to be precise with you know, my putting my oar in the water and, and applying power and in, in time with the boat and keeping my head screwed on straight to, to keep going. 
like that is something that I think has really helped me personally uh, persevere through some pretty uncomfortable situations. Wow. wow, that's really, really good. So there's some key things that I want to highlight that you just said. And one of those things that you mentioned was having a mentor, mentorship. That is something that a lot of people I have learned are doing this entrepreneurship by themselves. Oh, yeah. They, mm-hmm. they don't have anyone on their team. They're like, you know, I think I'm going to try and figure this out. The importance in that that you highlighted is is key. Yeah. And then being frugal, you were saying how you had just a couple of thousand dollars, you know, just laying mm-hmm. out on the, on the mm-hmm. sofa. That's important too. And then the last thing that you just highlighted, just keeping your head on straight, staying in the game, staying focused. Those things a lot of us need to hear every single day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Napoleon Hill talks about it in his book, uh, you know, Think and Grow Rich and the Law of Success. You, mm-hmm. you hit on those things so well. Talk about some of kind of the failures that you've endured. I know you said you don't want to spend all podcasts talking about the failures. But <laughs> definitely talk because we're in real life, real equity. That's, yeah. that's what we do. We want to talk about the realities behind entrepreneurship. Talk about some of the low points you faced when Getting started in real estate, three years in, you're now producing $20 million, almost at the top 1% of your team. That's a yeah. really big step. What was it like year one, year two? So the, so the way I got started was through a connection I made through an Airbnb host of all places. I would go down to San Diego with the team and we would train down at the Olympic Training Center down there, but we couldn't always stay on the site. So we found uh, Airbnb hosts. And one time we stayed in the house while they were also there, but they were there during the middle of the day. They had three kids. He was training for an Ironman. She was, um, outrigger wow. canoe kayaking. And I was like, what do you guys do? <laughs> this <laughs> seems like a good lifestyle to me. Um, and they were agents, but they were also doing flips and they were trying to do rentals and they were trying to do all these different, you know, things that they had sort of worked into their world. And so that's where I started ultimately is I started with them as a satellite office here in the Bay Area using all their backend from San Diego. And we were focusing on distressed distressed homeowners. So doing, I, I started doing a lot of short sales and I just cut my teeth on some of that stuff and I ended up doing nine transactions my first year, which is based on wow. just California average numbers. That's above the average agent in California. Oh, wow. um, but even the Bay Area, you're lucky as a first year agent to do like two, three, maybe four deals. So I right. got 2x the number of deals of the, the average first year person and just muscled some of those through going back to my, my you know athletic abilities. Mm-hmm. And so like for someone who's starting out, I always say like, if you can try and find some sort of a niche, if, if, if you're not going to be on a team that's going to give you a mentorship opportunity, if you can find a niche uh, group to go into, and I'm not saying necessarily short sales is it, but it, it is an example of one just to go in and get some experience, do mm-hmm. some transactions, get the ball rolling because once it rolls and you like, you know, do a few escrows and then you do a few more, you start to get confidence, you start to get familiarity with it. And then that will start to um, hopefully snowball you in a direction you want to go. What are you doing now, you know, in regards to kind of what it is value, value add wise, you can add to the audience. Um, Obviously you're in real estate. Obviously you are a real estate agent, but some of the things we usually like to do three golden nuggets um, and kind of 
you drop some nuggets throughout the podcast. Yes. But kind of talk to us a little bit deeper on what your goal is, um, not necessarily going forward into 2020, but the, the value add for the audience. So, well, I mentioned at the outset, I started a podcast myself called Another Way to Play. And I started that because I didn't want to talk exclusively about real estate, but I wanted to use the platform to talk about lifestyle design and and specifically freedom. Hmm. And to me, um, I define freedom as uh, not only uh, financial freedom so that, you know, through passive income by a real estate, uh, you're, at least for me, it can be passive other ways, but that's, that's the path I'm trying to go for. Um, But also having time and location independence, like Mm, freedom to make those decisions. And to me, especially the time component is one that most people don't consider. They, they actually use their time, um, free, not freely. They don't value their time as much as they value money. And so Mm -hmm. they think that, you know, a paycheck is, is, more valuable than spending eight or nine or 10 hours going to and from an office and in a job. And to me, that's backwards. I think you have to look at your time first, decide where you want to spend it with who you want to spend it doing what, and then figure out how to kind of reverse engineer your world so that it takes you in the direction that you actually want to go. I agree. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 Stephen Covey talks about that beginning with the end in mind and the seven habits of highly effective people. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tim Ferriss talks about being able to work where you want to work using just a laptop and internet connection uh, in his four-hour workweek book. So we'll yep. highlight both of those on the uh, newsletter um, for sure. But you said another way to play is the name of your podcast, right? Mm-hmm. So and that's, that's an, correct. That's awesome. So talk to us a little bit more about um, who your guests are. And then, uh, you know, you said you want to get into more than just real estate. And we love mm-hmm. that because we're entrepreneurs before we're real estate investors, you know, right. um, and you're always an investor before you're a real estate investor. I just, I believe everything has to do with business. So talk to us a little yep. bit more about another way to play. So the, what I'm trying to do is have conversations with people who are pursuing freedom in their lives and, yeah. and through their story, like what you guys did start where, um, in the beginning, like, where did you come from? Where did you, Mm -hmm. you know, some people it's like, Oh, I was running, trying to run side hustles in high school. And some people was like, no, I went through the normal thing and went to college and got a job and blah, blah, blah. Right. Through that story, um, what their mindset was, what they were thinking, how they were thinking about things, what they were doing. And then when did they realize that there's another way to play? Hence the title and, and what they did to pivot and shift uh, not only their their mindset, but also their actions and then their outcomes towards something that was more um, in line with what they were what they were seeking in life. And I'm t- trying to do that in like that order. So when people listen into the show, they're not going to ne- they will hear what cool things people are doing now yeah. and a little bit about their goals or where they're going. But I want to hear more of like how did you get here, right? right. Because Absolutely. that's that's a conversation that. I find hard to find out there in the podcast world. Generally, mm-hmm. a lot of times we want to talk about, well, now that I have this email list of 25,000 people, you know, I just 
write this really cool sales letter. <laughs> Boom, I get these sales. It's like, okay, cool. But how did you get 25,000 people? Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. No, there's, there's a really good video that talks about this uh, that Patrick David with Valuetainment put out. Um, actually, he didn't put it out. He was on a podcast interview and I don't remember the name of the podcast interview, but again, we'll put it in the newsletter as always. But basically what he said is he asks somebody who's just ahead of them how they got there. One or two steps ahead, ask them. Because a lot of people, and I think this is the fallacy that I've fallen into so many times before, I'll go and ask somebody who's uber successful. I'll make a relationship with somebody who's really, really successful. And I'll ask them, you know, what was it like when you got started? Well, they got started 30 years ago and they don't remember. You know, I have a hard time remembering what happened 10 years ago. So I definitely couldn't. I could, wouldn't be able to answer what happened to me 30 years ago. I mean, even though for me, 30 years ago, I was like three, but I mean, <laughs> yeah. but I mean, seriously though, it's like, you know, what, what is it that somebody who's just ahead of you is doing? And that is the key component. So uh, how can they find your podcast? It's, it's anywhere that podcasts can be found. iTunes is where I'm directing most people. Okay. iTunes. Okay. So all major platforms, but iTunes is a place to be. Uh, another way to play is the name of the podcast. Uh, do they have, do they, do you have any way that they can get a hold of you? Yeah. And, and then you can go to uh, my website, which is hansstruzina.com spelled S T R U Z Y N A.com. And that will uh, take you to my website, which has information about me, a contact me form. Um, and I love to connect with people via podcast because this is part of the reason I'm doing it is to connect yeah. with more people just like yourselves. Right. And um, just learn who's out there and who's doing what and, you know, how we can all kind of learn from one another and do stuff together potentially. And um, so I love, love that kind of contact. But I've got information on my podcast as well as my real estate practice as well uh, on the website. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Man, we appreciate it as always. Yes, um, this was great. This was great. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Thank thank you guys both for having me on. It's been a a pleasure. And if there's anything I can do to add value to you or your guests, uh, your audience, please let me know. I'm happy to contribute. Absolutely. Absolutely. So another way to play, hansfruzina.com if you want to reach them. We thank you for your time. All major platforms, check them out. I will. I know for sure I will. Um, So anyway, Until next week. See you guys next time. Thank you for listening to Real Life Real Equity Podcast. If you would like to ask the hosts a question or be exposed to our podcast audience, visit our website at realliferealequity.com and submit a request. Again, that's realliferealequity.com. Or send us an email at info at realliferealequity.com. Again, that's info at realliferealequity.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week right here on Real Life Real Equity Podcast.